Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two, episode 20 of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. My name is Ami Joseph. I'm the sector head for technology here at Hedgeye. With me today is Andrew Friedman and Felix Wang, the sector heads for communications and for China here at Hedgeye. And today, uh, you're going to be hearing this in just a couple of days. So we're recording it on a Wednesday. You're getting this on a Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, the 22nd. Um, and uh, we are already in three third quarter earnings season for tech. Um, uh, we had uh, ASML, we had Taiwan Semiconductor, um, we had um, Adobe kind of uh, pre-announce or at least give data on their on their earnings call. And um, so this this is kind of like already in play in play here. We had Netflix last night. Um, What's going on in China for earnings season, uh, Felix? First of all, uh, which big companies have reported already that you follow? What's what's upcoming? What's like the biggest like possible thing that could go right this earnings season? And what's the biggest thing that could go wrong this earnings season in China? Uh, well, our earnings season actually hasn't started yet. Um, uh, a couple of smaller companies have reported Q3, but uh, the, and you, we have some education companies I follow that will report earnings next week. But the biggest one starts well with Alibaba next month. And then you have all the e-commerce names and then the tech giants. Look, it, the mood is pretty somber right now, right? Uh, you have the National Congress that just finished up. Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, with Xi's speech, at least on Sunday, it was probably the most scrutinized speech in history uh, at least from China's standpoint, um, I think people, you know, looked too much into what he said or what what I wrote to clients was what he didn't say that I that really caught my attention. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think you know it's Q3 is already setting up to be um, still kind of the status quo. I would say in China, you have a lot of issues going on, on the property side and COVID nineteen, but mostly people are looking at what's going to happen in Q4. And I'm going to take a guess here, Ami, and say very few of my companies are going to give guidance this earnings season. Um, I already saw, you know, many of them do do this uh, last quarter, but we could see more people doing, uh, more, more, more people this time around not giving out guidance. Um, Tencent has always been, you know, one company that never gave guidance. So I think more people, sorry, more companies may follow in their footsteps. That said, uh, I have, you know, a lot of long ideas that I like and um, into this earnings season. And if you have a longer term mind on where China could potentially shake out into next year and with easier comps, particularly being one of the key drivers and also, you know, what we'll see on the, on the auditing side and who's gaining market share. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about there, but I I just feel like, you know, uh, there's still some companies in China worth investing in and holding on to. Um, going into next year, I've I continue to kind of pad my long book, uh, but um, you know, definitely be hedged at this moment just because uh, th- there's always a, a lot of external risks involved with China as well. So I'll just leave it at that. 
I love how you just, I love that. I have some follow-up questions, if you don't mind, um, from that. Okay, so you said, first thing, obviously, uh, you can't, like, dangle that in front of me and, like, do the what he didn't say thing. Most scrutinized speech in history, and I find it more what <laughs> he didn't say, and then not tell me. So I'm sitting here. I know it's in my inbox, but like, this, I tell me, come on, give it to me here. What, what, what? Yeah. What didn't What didn't she say that that you're that you're thinking about? Well, maybe I'm thinking about it too much, right? Because I'm trying to figure out. So the the media is spinning it as okay, nothing happened from his speech that we didn't anticipate, and you know, pretty much zero COVID policy. He didn't say, actually, he didn't say, he only said two sentences on zero COVID and they weren't really directional either. So he didn't really emphasize whether we're going to continue this forever or five years or three years or end it tomorrow. So there was no signal there, but, you know, um, there was a spokesperson for the Congress, which basically said that, yeah, zero COVID or dynamic zero COVID policy is necessary. And we're doing this to save lives and to ensure stability, social stability, so to speak. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, I mean, there would, he didn't talk about regulation that much. But it's also keep. It's important to keep in mind this is a this is a once in five years speech. So it right. was mostly talking about goals that China wanted to achieve in five years, and they all achieved those goals last year. So from that perspective, he's kind of just, you know, reiterating what China had done last year um, in terms of their goals being accomplished and the blueprint for the next five years, right? Um, So, uh, you know, he didn't talk too much about the clamping down on, you know, access capital and all this laissez-faire type of environment that really really was very supportive of internet platforms and so forth. That to me was surprising. I thought he would at least mention that a little bit. Um, You know, he didn't, again, he only made two two sentences on COVID and he didn't talk about Ukraine or Russia. Um, What he did talk about was Taiwan. And, you know, if you look at the media sources, people got really scared when he said, all right, we're not going to renounce the option to have military action if needed. Uh, But that's taking out of context. Obviously, you know, China wants a peaceful reunification as as kind of the first, you know, as the primary way to achieve this. so from my you know perspective, the media really took that sentence out of context. The other thing was security versus um, development. These are two keywords that she always talks about in his national Congress speech, and you know I think there was a lot more focus on security, but development still has priority over security. Um, so from that perspective, you know people are trying to guess, you know, what is the likelihood there could be a a conflict with Taiwan through how many times he says security, how many times he says development. Um, But generally speaking, you know, we'll have a better idea of his economic plan um, and uh, who he elects to his so-called inner circle. Uh, It's called the standing committee of the Pearl Bureau this Sunday. And that, 
who he elects in that committee will have a better telling of, you know, what China's economic plans are going forward. But it was just very, I would say, kind of scattered um, from his speech. And I, I, I initially thought it was, it was kind of positive just because regulation wasn't mentioned at all. Um, so at least okay. from that perspective, you know, for the tech giants, um, you know, that's, oh, kind that's of su- yeah. supportive of, you know, tech and innovation, hard technology in particular, AI, green energy, all these themes that he's been talking about for like many, many years were reiterated in his speech. So, so okay, so yeah. I'll tell you what I, what I hear from what you just said. What I hear is, and this is what I was just typing in, I'm like looking up like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and mm. defense companies because now the way you just, everything you just said to me means the United States is going to be, at least from a supply chain and military industrial perspective, hopefully not with actual soldiers, uh, but uh, looks like we're going to have two fronts. The United States will have will be fighting on two fronts, and its and its military industrial complex will be battling on two fronts now. So, makes me want to be long uh, the defense stocks. I think that's probably my first takeaway. Then I had another. So that thank you for clarifying all of that. By the way, that's I mean it's it's sad, but it's impactful um, for portfolios. I think directly. So then I think the other thing um, uh, I want to um, ask about is you said the companies aren't this aren't I, this is more of a yes or no question, and then my third question is more of a thought question. Um, um, do you you said more companies are not giving guidance? Um, is that going to be taken like variously? Will stocks go down? When they don't give guidance, what's the what's the precedent in China? Like, are stocks falling when they don't give guidance, or are people being like, "Oh, that's a relief because now"? It, yeah, it, it depends on the company, right? If they've been having, if 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 they've been giving guidance in the past, and then all of a sudden they don't, that's usually a red flag. Um, but not always. But usually that's a red flag. I I, I think you know last quarter we saw some of my companies do that. And the shares got destroyed. Um, this time around, those same companies, if they don't give guidance, I think investors are not necessarily going to punish them just because maybe this is the this is the way forward. Again, copying the Tencent model, right? So Tencent has never gave quarterly metric guidance. Um, so you know, I I think. More people are doing. Alibaba has never given, at least quantitatively, they've never given um, metric guidance either. Um, so maybe some of these smaller companies will start doing the, doing that and following that that path just to avoid any kind of volatility with their metrics. So hard to answer your question. I think it really depends on the on on the, on the company and what they have done in the past. Okay. And then the third question is, and Andrews, I'm sorry, I'm eating into all of your minutes here. I'm sorry about this, but Felix dropped a bomb on me when he opened that opening. He's like, I'm not going to say anything, but I'll say a couple of things, you know, and then like classic <laughs> Felix, there's like so much more there. It's so rich. Um, here's my, my, my third follow-up, okay? One of the main things that's fueled China over the last 30 years, maybe 40 years, has been, broadly speaking, a CapEx boom which is in part funded by the government and in part uh, becoming like kind of like the manufacturing center of the whole world. Mainly the United States, but 
let's say the whole world, okay, by proxy. Now, with everything that's going on, and, and, and I mentioned Lockheed Martin a second ago, right? So that's with everything going on. I think the nationalization or renationalization, this this terribly sad, by the way, saddens me completely to, to have the world fracture again and everyone get behind their walls and um it's bad for trade, it's bad for humanity, it's bad for bad for the growth of the world and bad for medicine and science and everything, discovery, sharing, etc. Um, but shit happens and you know whatever i guess you can't you don't stand in the way of history you flow with it um so just on this subject um this capex boom that is that has shaped china's economy in positive way over the last 40 years um is now going to it looks like unless the current trends you know resolve and go go back to how they were but if this deglobalization continues um there's going to be capex boom in the United States. Though maybe there'll be a capex boom in Japan. Um, I wonder even if in parts of Europe, as supply chains get renationalized, um, China will be facing a different challenge. So it won't be a capex boom that's going to fuel China because it won't be a continuation of of, of that kind of economic revolution in China. Um, potentially, potentially, you know, maybe um, it'll be more like. The Chinese companies kind of realizing that, okay, we're big enough and we have scale. We can go compete in the world with the rest of these companies and and win against them. Um, when I phrase it up like this, what thoughts pop into your head? A, it could be, oh, yeah, these two companies are totally going to win against global competitors. Or maybe you're thinking like, no, I mean, you're wrong. China's still deflationary for the world and it's still the best in its own manufacturing. I don't know. Or maybe I don't know. Tell me what I tell me what ideas you have that pop into your head when I phrase it that way. Where the capex boom that that sort of flooded into China, that investment capital that flooded into China for forty years, is now going to find its way gradually out of China, um, and into competing supply chains. And so China will have to have like a new attack vector, a new approach when it comes to, you know, commerce and economy. I don't know. What was that? How does that, how does that yeah. ring across you? I don't necessarily think all that investment's coming out of China. I mean, it's still the second largest economy in the world. It's a area, if you're a U.S. company, if you're a European company and you want to diversify and go global, you, you know, China is still an opportunity for you to set up operations there and, and there are still some companies that that are going in there into China for the first time. It doesn't get mentioned enough in in, in the press here, but you know that's not going to go away if you want to become a global company. But if you don't want to become a global company and you're more want to become more, um, you know, deglobalization kind of viewpoint and. Then China, you know, is is probably one place you will probably not consider. But I I, I will say this, you know, I am. Um, China has shifted their focus to becoming a lot more uh, domestically su- sufficient. You know, it used to be a very export driven country, and um, and now it's a little bit more balanced. I would say, right, and so. This this becomes an interesting trend going forward. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm not too involved on the policy side when it comes to you know the ten to fifteen year plan. Uh, I mean, I'm People's Daily actually came out with uh, 
a picture of what they think 2035 would look like in China. It's very interesting. They came out with this kind of a modernist, socialist type of model um, in terms of driving innovation and technological success. So these are things that I would say, you know, that the government is focused on. But generally speaking, deglobalization, in my view, hurts everyone. So to isolate China or to isolate another country out there, it, it also hurts your own supply chain in some respect. Um, so I, I just hope everybody can be cooperative and work together um, because that's what have worked well, you know, in the, in the past couple of decades. And, but now, you know, with all these global tensions, it's, 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 it's not easy dealing with uh, a player like China. Um, so that's all I have to say on that, on that front. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, for example, Apple via Samsung and TSMC is going to, or at least it looks like they will manufacture um, semiconductors more and more away from Taiwan because of this problem um, maybe away from China supply chain here in the US and um, I just I wonder how serious that is just thinking about all the different components that are made in China like do we really really want all of those things made in the United States I don't think we do frankly um, they're uh, commodity parts and low, super low cost. They won't, they won't generate a lot of job growth here. Um, it comes with a lot of environmental waste as well. Like it's not, they aren't, this isn't like an easy thing. It's not easy to, you can, you can, you can, you can maybe pick on like the highest value element, which is the wafer creation or whatever from TSMC or from Samsung and move that here. But the, the long list of everything else it's very hard to move all those things here, diodes and capacitors and MOSFETs and everything like that that goes into this and plastic casings and PCB boards and all these things. Really, really hard. And, and at the same time that Apple is uh, via its proxies kind of looking to build, you know, backup supply chain in the United States. They also, for the first time ever in March, April, they they ordered NAND flash from a Chinese manufacturer, Chinese NAND flash manufacturer called XMT. And um, this was like the very first um, time ever that a Chinese NAND flash manufacturer was qualified at Apple. So it's like a competing uh, narrative, these two things going against each other. I think Apple was even sanctioned by the US Congress for doing that. I'm not even sure. I don't remember exactly the headline that I saw. But um, it's kind of like very um, interesting to see these two things going in opposite directions. Um, so I agree with you. It's the, I, I don't think the die is cast and I don't think this is like a for sure thing. Um, but definitely seems like it seems like at least the West is going to try to to fund a CapEx boom uh in its own land it's in its own in its own national borders and I, I i wonder how that shakes out in the end if it just never materializes and it never becomes competitive enough or if maybe like it becomes if it does become competitive enough and then there's this like okay we have our supply chain you have yours and and somebody else has theirs and uh and everybody's like basically at war for scale with their supply chains 
So I don't know how that's going to, that's kind of like a emerging thought process I have that I don't know how that all shakes out. Um, but I wanted to throw that at you after kind of like what you said about, you know, thinking about companies in the long term and, and companies not giving guidance and all this kind of flow of earnings into, into the third quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would just add to your point. I agree with you, Ami. I mean, I, I would just say, you know, China has really evolved over the years. They are no longer considered just a, like a kind of a primitive, uh, like a low cost type of manufacturing hub. They've they've really evolved into more of a I would say advancing global supply chain type of uh, of of of, uh, of hub, and um, that's why it's 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 been more appealing, right, to to use that sub- supply chain. And one one type of concept that is is increasingly being uh, involved here um, when you think about supply chain is cross-border c- commerce, and cross-border commerce coming um, uh, f- from 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 China is 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 really really picking up, um, despite all this you know geopolitical tensions with with the rest of the world. Um, so I I think as long as there's demand for these Chinese goods, uh, which it shows like there is. Um, that's just one trend that we, we need to keep an eye on. Um, so you, you're, uh, I would, how are you tracking cross-border commerce? What, what number are you tracking for that? What is that? Yeah, so 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 the government puts out, you know, in terms of on their trade data, um, the amount of products that's leaving China um, to other parts of the world. Um, so cross-border trade volume is has has been going up actually exponentially. Um, in the past decade, um, even last year, even with all the trade wars and all the you know geopolitical tensions and COVID nineteen, cross border uh, e commerce cross uh, sorry just cross cross border commerce volumes were still up double digits year over year. So this is why a lot of Chinese companies now are looking more global. They don't want to just rely on the domestic consumer. They're looking for opportunities elsewhere, including USA. Um, so it, it'll be interesting, you know, to see how both governments look at this opportunity um, going forward. But it's it's definitely it's definitely in a kind of an up and coming type of trend you have to pay attention to. Yeah, that's that is interesting. I mean, that's definitely also partly the fact that U.S. dollar is so strong makes you know the Chinese goods even appear even cheaper and such. So yes, I, I think you're right that there's yeah, that absolutely. Makes sense to me. Currency, currency is a big, big impact here too, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. It goes it goes against uh the current efforts for nationalization on, on any level just because like you know it's just that balance is required. Um well I mean we're coming up on on a half an hour here uh Felix and Andrew I'm so sorry that we didn't even get to your sector um we'll have to pick you up on the on on the next one um Felix uh you are awesome and you really have a good command of your material and it's got it, you've got to have macro you've got to have policy and you've got to have government you're a genius with stock picks um I love following your stuff anyone who's listening I highly recommend picking up a pro subscription to Felix. If you're an institution, a mutual fund or a hedge fund, uh, please reach out to sales at hedge.com and subscribe to, to Felix. He's fantastic. Uh, and uh, I hope you all benefit 
today from his um, experience and knowledge and his research. Um, next time, hopefully we'll hit on and some of Andrew's stuff. Um, and uh, that'll be a wrap for us today on, uh, on Hedgeye's Unscripted Equity Curiosity, Season 2, Episode 20, uh, featuring me, Ami Joseph, and Andrew Friedman, and Felix Wang. Um, thank you very much for tuning in, and have a pleasant day. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.